This morning's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verses 1 through chapter 20, verses 2, and then 18 through 21. Hear the word of our Lord. On the third day, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called out to the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall see Sorry, you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man. He shall not live when the trumpet sounds a long blast, and they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the mountain of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought down the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. <clears throat> now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of the kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Then the Lord came down Mount Sinai and the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through the Lord, look at many of them, and perish. And he let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let priests and the people break through to come to, up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. 
And God spoke all of the words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In verses 18 through 21, Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And our New Testament reading is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying the laying Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. <clears throat> but, I'm sorry, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. What's our status? Maybe the title of the sermon caught your eye. Maybe it didn't. I always tell Kimberly, I would be the, the great person that could come up with a sermon title the day after I was supposed to give it. I, I, I'm that person. The day after, I've got all the answers. But what is your status? And of course, this question that I'm putting forth this morning in the context of Sunday morning worship is aimed at asking the question of what is our status before God? What I hope God reveals this morning is that we do have a status before a mighty and powerful God who is alive and well. If you are a member of this church, if you've attended Christ Presbyterian before, you are very used to us coming, as John pointed out, in our bulletin, where we read the scriptures and then we confess our sin. The scriptures reveal to us how we have missed the mark. How we have not lived up to what God has called us to live up to. And it pushes us to confess our sins, to confess we need Christ. And if you've been here for a while, you've you also... Always know that 
after we confess our sins out loud, we are confessing them to God and we are confessing them to one another and saying we need Jesus. And then we hear the declaration of pardon. That in Christ Jesus, our sins are forgiven. But this morning we did something new. We read the law of God. And if you didn't catch it, John said, I had John say something, and it's printed in your bulletin right before we read the Ten Commandments. And it says, as God's redeemed people, how shall we live? You know, because what we always have to remember about this morning's passage is that Exodus 19 comes before Exodus 20. That in Exodus 19, we hear who God's people are. We hear who God is. And then in Exodus 20, we see what God's people should do. But what happens in our lives and what Satan constantly wants to remind us of, what Satan constantly wants us to forget is that Exodus 20 follows Exodus 19. Because Exodus 19 is about our status before God. If we read Exodus 20 as our status before God, we are in a world of hurt. Because then our status before God would be based upon what we do rather than what God has done on our behalf. We must never forget Exodus 19 comes before Exodus 20. And those are the three things I want us to look at this morning that I believe this passage teaches us is that it teaches us who God is, who we are and then lastly what we are to do as God's people how many of you know what tender is it's a location for those of you who don't know I'll inform you tender is a location based social media app and dating service that allows users to swipe whether they like someone or not, based upon the picture that they post. If two people swipe that they like each other, then they are able to further communicate and have a relationship or whatever they want. But So this is the mantra of Tinder. Make every single moment count. Tinder is more than a dating app. It's a cultural movement. Hashtag swipe life. So this is a dating app where people look at people's pictures and they swipe through them. If they like the picture that they see, they swipe like. If they don't like the picture, they swipe dislike. So there's a current meme going off, going on. And if you don't know what a meme is, I had to explain it to John earlier. A meme is a picture that usually has words that's satirically bent. It's usually making fun of somebody. It's using hyperbole. And the evolution of a meme, a picture with words on it making fun of someone, is a gif. If you don't know what a gif is, ask somebody. And I digress. But So there's a new meme going on set out by Dolly Parton. 
And in this meme, there's four pictures of four social media outlets. What would your picture look like for LinkedIn? You would want your picture to look pretty professional. You have a tie on, you're hard at work. And then in the top right-hand corner, what is your picture for Facebook? Usually it's of a family, you something, doing something that you like. In the bottom left-hand corner, it would be, what is your picture for Instagram? This is your picture of your walk-up crew, of the people that you do mischievous things with. And then there's Tinder. This is the perfect headshot. This is the picture you want everyone to see because if the picture you put on Tinder is based upon whether people will like you or not. Now you're going to ask, how does this have to do with Exodus? Because you see what Tinder is set up to do is it's an app designed for you to meet people based upon what they look like. And the book of Exodus is a book about meeting people. The book of Exodus is about meeting God. Over and over and over again, we hear the refrain, Who is God? Pharaoh asked this question, Who is this God that I might do what he says? Exodus 3, Exodus 6, Exodus 14, Exodus 18, Exodus 29. The question is always, who is God? As John preached last week, God is a God who reveals himself through his sovereign power and through signs and miracles. He went to war for his people. Moses, Israel, Pharaoh, Egypt, even the sojourner that would come into Israel are put the question, who is Yahweh? And God has revealed himself. Yet to know Yahweh isn't to just give him space in your mind. He isn't a fact, a piece of fact or data that's perceived and stored. He isn't a picture that we simply look at and say we like or we dislike. God in Exodus is a God who we know covenantally. He is a God who draws his people to himself. He is a God who acts because he is faithful and merciful and gracious. At Christ Presbyterian Church, and in our Reformed tradition, we like to speak about covenants. And we think that covenants give us the biblical understanding of the narrative of Scripture. God always reveals himself through covenants. He made a covenant with Adam. And in Adam, all humanity stood or fell. He made a covenant with Noah for all creation. He made a covenant with Abraham, that he would bless him so that he could be a blessing to the nations. And he gave him a sign of that covenant, something that he could see of God to know that God would be faithful. He made a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel here in Exodus 19 through 24. And later he makes another covenant with David. 
And through this covenant promise, God is continuing to bless his people by coming to them, by seeking them out, by drawing them to himself. We see here in Exodus 19, Israel is the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God had made a covenant to their fathers. And God is acting because God is faithful. When God appeared to Moses in Exodus 3, he says, I will be with you and I shall give you a sign that I have sent you when you have been brought the people, when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall bring them to this mountain. This is where we are in the story. God promised it in Exodus 3. And here in Exodus 19, the people are on the mountain where God said he would bring them. Because God is a faithful God who stands behind his covenant promises for his people. And God's people have seen what he has done. He bore them on eagles' wings. He drew them to himself. They have seen it with their own eyes. God is at work. They had partaken of the Passover lamb, where God passed over them because they followed what God told them to do, and God redeemed them out of Egypt. He saved them. And here in Exodus 19, we see the same thing over and over again. Look at Exodus 19.9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe forever. Then again in verses 11 through 13. Be ready on the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down to Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. And then again in verses 16 to 20. Listen to this. This is what it looks like when God comes to his people. On the mountain on the third day, there was thunders and lightning and a thick cloud of the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people of the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out to the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord was descending in fire. The smoke of it went out like a smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled at the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. God came to his people. Understand this movement. God comes to us, even when we don't seek him. He comes to you, revealing himself to you. And he has revealed himself to you in the same way that he revealed himself to Israel. We see him. And yes, we might not see fire and smoke. But if we take time in our lives to look at what God has done in our lives, we cannot do anything but see the work of God. Think how God is controlling your sin. 
Think about how God has healed relationships. Think about how God has brought people out of sickness. Think about when we come to the table, when we see the body and blood of Christ, we taste the grace of God. As sure as you take that bread, as sure as you hold that cup, those are signs of God's great work in Christ. And God is faithful to his covenant. God moved through Moses and did signs and wonders. And God moved through Christ on the cross because he saw the state that we were in and he came to us incarnate in the flesh and he drew us to himself because he loves us. That is what Paul says in Romans 5.8. God shows his love for, for, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the movement of Exodus 19. Exodus 1 to Exodus 18, God is drawing his people to him. He is going to them. This is the God that we meet in Exodus. And we are called to believe in him. This is who God is. Now let us see who we are. So back in Exodus 2, uh, we, we hear these words. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slave, slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew God saw and God knew. Now, this knowing is more than just a recall or a recognition of someone. Some of you might be able to recognize me in a suit and tie. Very often, people double take me when they see me in a hat and T-shirt at the grocery store. But this knowing is a knowing as though I see my wife. I don't just recognize her. I don't just know facts about her. I know her favorite things to drink. I know the tone of her voice when she's angry or when she's happy. One writer on this topic of knowing and being known says, the most irrefutable evidence of God's grace is that his wife can see him naked and still loves him. This is knowing someone. This is knowing your mothers and your fathers. This is a knowing that you have with your brothers and sisters. It isn't a facial recognition and as a reminder that pops up on your cell phone. This is an intimacy. Because it's covenant love that grounds God's knowing of his people. This is how God knew Israel. And this is how God acted on their behalf, because of their covenant promises. How often do we 
understand God's love for us. This small little truncated phrase means that God knows his covenant people. And this is what he says about his covenant people. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians in verse 4, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You are God's treasured possession. He doesn't like you based upon the picture that you try to give him. He likes you and loves you because he is gracious and kind. If you believe in faith in Christ, you are kings. You are priests. And this imagery is very important for us to hear. Remember, this is Israel realizing this book of Exodus is for Israel hearing who they are. And so is the book of Genesis. What do priests and kings remind you of? This is the role of Adam and Eve in the garden. Kings are people who have dominion over God's creation. Priests are those who are able to enter into the presence of God. And up to Exodus 19, the people have not been in the presence of God. The 1956 Charles Heston movie, The Ten Commandments, Listening to it as a child, I, I, can all, I always remember the one refrain. Let my people go. But as we study this with our youth group, that is what Moses and Aaron say. But that's not all that Moses and Aaron say. Over six times when it's spoken about it, let my people go. He gives the reason why. So that they may serve me. We are God's people. We are his treasured possession. And he calls us to serve him. He calls us to do his will. And that is what we get in Exodus 20. We are already his people. And he calls us to do his will, to serve him. A few weeks ago, we, I asked the youth group, which is always very dangerous, what they have learned in our six months of studying the Exodus. And the one thing that I heard back was something that we had studied when God used this refrain of let my people go so that they may serve me. This word for serve, the Hebrew word is actually the word for the same word for slavery. And so in the Exodus, when in the book of Exodus, when the, Moses was talking about how the people were slaves to Pharaoh, that they may serve Yahweh. That's the flip in our lives that we don't usually see. You see, they were being oppressed by Pharaoh in their slavery. But what God's redemption of them, what happens is that they no longer serve Pharaoh, but they move. And their identity is changed. Their status is changed. And now they serve Yahweh. 
who doesn't oppress them, but gives them life to the full as kings and priests. This is what God's people are called to do. We look at this law and we think God is trying to hinder us. He's trying to hold us back. He's trying to keep us from enjoying life. But look at these Ten Commandments and think about what life would be like if everyone actually did this. How humans would flourish. How relationships would be established. Because everything in the Ten Commandments is based upon love. Love is not restrictive. Love is life-giving. Love does not hold us down. Love sets us free. Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments in love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is not oppressive. God's people are called to lay hold of the covenant promises that are due to them. This is what we see in verses 4 to 6 in chapter 19. We have an obligation as God's people to obey God's voice. But remember the order. We are already God's people. We don't obey his voice to become his people. That's what happens when you put Exodus 20 before Exodus 19. Then our salvation is based upon works and not the gracious and marvelous acts of God on our behalf. And in verse 8 of chapter 19, the people of Israel say, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Israel is saying, we will obey God's voice. We will keep his covenant. We will be his treasured possession. We will be his kingdom of priests. We will be a holy nation. And they do that because they know Yahweh. They have seen and met the God who created all things. And God binds himself to them and says, You shall be my people and I shall be your God. And he comes down in glory before them. And just as God did wondrous works and signs, prepares us for something, prepares us for Jesus. As we saw, and we look at the Gospels and we see his wondrous signs and acts of wonders, calming the storm, of feeding the 5,000, of healing a cripple, of speaking words of peace and truth to those who come to him in the middle of the night, even those who weren't searching. And Jesus did something even better. Because within the works of the law, God built in a sacrificial system because God knew the people couldn't do what he was asking them to do. And Jesus comes with a new covenant and says, this is the body and blood for you. I have accomplished what you 
could not by the law. I am making you my people because I love you and because I'm faithful to you. In the New Testament, we have a more perfect lamb that was sacrificed and his blood was shed. This is what we read in Romans 3.25 in our, assurance, in our declaration of pardon. God put forth as a propitiation for his blood to be received by faith. John says the same thing in 1 John 4.10. In his love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. He washed away the wrath we deserve if we try to live by the law. And he made us his people through faith in Christ. The law points to Jesus. Jesus was whom the law prepares us for. Jesus is the one that Israel should long for so they no longer had to do sacrifices. Because they no longer had to keep reminding themselves of how they didn't uphold God's law. And Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf and he gives it to us by free grace. But yet he asks us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't leave us on our own. He gives us power to fulfill his law, the law of Christ through loving God and loving our neighbor. Through the blood of Jesus, he gives us the strength not just to do better, but to love the way that Christ loves. Through the blood of Jesus, he gives strength to the single parent who is overwhelmed, who feels outstretched and outnumbered. And he says to them, you are my treasured possession. Through the blood of Jesus, he draws those who are single giving them value and dignity as they are image bearers of Christ. Saying that you matter. I went to the cross for you. Through the blood of Jesus, God gives encouragement to those who are struggling with a rebellious child. Well, listen to this. Who are a rebellious child? Because the blood of Christ is a sign that he is faithful to us. For those who are unhappy in their marriages, in relationships, and in friendships, God is working through the power of his spirit to make all things new. And God is faithful. And what the writer of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews 12, 18 through 24, is he, he speaks of Mount Sinai. <laughs> But he speaks of how far greater Mount Zion will be from where Jesus is reigning. We no longer come to Mount Sinai and have to wash our garments or stay away from sexual relations with a woman to be able to go into the presence of God. We have been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We no longer come to Mount Sinai to see this fire come down or to hear God's voice because we come to Mount Zion and we see the risen Christ. They saw God's glory. 
They heard God's voice, and we see his glory and his words in the person and the work of Christ. We come to this table and we feast on Christ by faith because he is victorious. And we sing of the great feast that is to come when we will feast in Zion with the God who pursued us, with the God who called us, who doesn't like us based upon the best picture we can present ourselves. God loves us in Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen.